Hey everybody, welcome to episode 199 of the Running Rogue Podcast. This is your host, Chris McClung, as we knock on the door of 200, which I'm excited about. That'll be out next week, and I've got two hardcore listeners joining me to celebrate that 200th episode, so that's coming soon. In today's discussion, though, we've got a really interesting topic, one that I don't think gets enough attention out there, and that's we're going to be discussing periodizing your strength training. We're bringing on strength coach Travis Goyanechi, who has been working and collaborating with us at Rogue on our strength training program for our base training group, which I coach with Jason Brooks via the podcast. And then Travis is also going to be designing for us starting this week, a program that is an in-season strength program for our main podcast training group for those that might be training for any distance from 5k up to marathon on different tracks. So he's going to be supporting that strength training program. And so he's helped us develop a periodized strength training program that will match with our running training so that you can get the right strength stimuli at the right time as we go through the season. So what we're going to be talking about today primarily is how you structure that in-season training, periodize with your running training so that you get what you need when you need it as you build towards a goal race. Of course, we'll also be talking about some foundational principles that Travis brings to his strength training as someone who coaches Olympic level track and field athletes. So I'm excited to have Travis on. He's got a really powerful perspective on this stuff. Excited to share that with you. Before we jump into that, I got a couple of quick intro items. First of all, we've got to give a shout out for the Diamond League one-hour track records that went down this past week by Sifan Hassan and Mo Farah. So they ran on the track, and the goal was to break the world records for one-hour races on the track, meaning how much distance can you cover in one hour. They did this as a part of the Brussels Diamond League meet. And both world records went down. You had Mofera, who broke Heidi Gebrselassie's record by about 45 meters, so just under half a straightaway. He ran 21.3K in 60 minutes, which is just a little bit further than a half marathon. He did that all in 60 minutes on the track, over 53 laps. And then Sifan Hassan also broke the world record, but he, but she smashed it by by over a lap, where she ran eighteen point nine k for the one hour on the track, after dropping Bridget Kozgai, who was also making the same attempt during that race. And Kozgai finished behind Hassan. She also broke the record, but was DQ'd for at one point stepping on the infield during the race. So I got two thoughts on this. First of all, kudos to World Athletics for being creative, for doing a quote-unquote stunt like this. I think that while the bread and butter, meaning the core events for track and field, have plenty of storylines to draw attention, I do think fun exhibition-style events like this that mix things up and draw attention to the sport are smart and should be a part of every major meet to draw interest to those other core events that are so rich to the stories 
in those core events about athletes that are so rich. So kudos to the World Athletics from that standpoint. I do have issue, though, with the World Athletics in featuring these two athletes, Hassan and Farah. Farah, in particular, has significant question marks over his head, including working with now the band Alberto Salazar, as well as being associated with the the band or the under investigation for band Jama Aden, who was found with a hotel room full of EPO, who has other questionable activities around the Salazar investigation that have been well documented. And then Hassan, who was also coached by Salazar, has some of her own question marks over her head. And so from my perspective, if you're going to have an event like this, this exhibition be a feature event that's really drawing a lot of the attention for this Diamond League meet, then please, please, please choose athletes that don't have such clouds of suspicion over their head. Because I I really can't imagine being a clean athlete and looking at these two athletes with all of the suspicions over their head, watching these two athletes be showcased in this way and celebrated in this way. It to me would just be like a giant middle finger to clean sport that the world athletics was giving and showing two clean athletes that they don't really care about the fight against doping. So and, and a lot of people will get mad at me and they say, well, Chris, you're always so negative about this stuff. It's not about being negative. It's about sending the right signals. And no, we can't know yet that Farah and Hassan are using performance-enhancing performance drugs. I think everybody knows where I stand on that. But to showcase two athletes with such clouds of suspicion, to me, that's that's a little bit like a big middle finger to everybody who knows they're doing it clean because of the suspicions and you could have chose other athletes to showcase in other ways to draw attention to the sport that would also paint a better picture that you care about clean sport. So that's my second point here. Yes, kudos to World Athletics for trying new things for mixing it up, but come on, if you're going to showcase two athletes, please, please choose athletes that are above reproach that everybody can can truly believe in without big clouds of suspicion and doubts over their heads. So that's my two cents there. Good effort, but I've got some feedback for you, World Athletics, and I would bet that a lot of the athletes out there that are doing it right just looked at this and are probably highly discouraged because if you're going to showcase two athletes with this suspicion, then it just kind of says you don't really care about the fight for clean sport. So that's my opinion on that. Okay, now the second thing by way of intro before I jump into my conversation with Travis, I wanted to give a shout out to and recognize those doing the virtual Boston Marathon this week. Got to give a shout out to Rogue member Sage who is doing it. On this Labor Day, as I record this intro, it's his first Boston after many, many attempts to get in. Unfortunately, he's not able to do it in person, but he was out in his new home in the Pacific Northwest getting his virtual Boston Marathon done on his own course. And his neighborhood was rallying around him. I saw a picture with chalk across the street with a start line that they'd created there for him. 
and that's just so 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 cool so congrats to sage on this first boston in my head it still counts even if you're not there starting in hopkinton but also kudos and shout out to all of those getting their virtual boston marathons done this week we'll be doing a rogue virtual boston coming up this coming sunday where we've got our athletes here in austin We'll be doing it on a course that we've created for them to give them support. So kudos to all of you getting those virtual Bostons done this week. That's not the same, I know, but it is still a big deal. Please, please, please celebrate it. And for those that know of others doing virtual Bostons, please reach out to them. Give them all of your love and support this week as they go get this done because a virtual 26.2 mile race is no easy task when you're having to do it on your own or self-supported in some way. So shout out to all those virtual Boston runners this week. All right, here we go. Let's jump into my conversation with Travis. Again, Travis has been a collaborator with us on our strength programming here at Rogue. I'm excited to chat with him. He coaches Olympic track and field, Olympic level track and field athletes. And so let's jump into that conversation, talking about periodizing your strength training in season. Here we go. Welcome, Travis. Goyanechi to the Running Rogue podcast. How are you doing today, Travis? Doing wonderful, Chris. Pleasure to be here. Excited to have you and wanted to get first a little bit on your background. But before we dig into that, you're a strength coach. You've got a gym, a local gym in Austin, Texas. How has it been for you adapting to this crazy pandemic time? I'm sure it's been a roller coaster as it has been for us. How was it for you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, we took a, a lot of my training to outdoors, you know, park areas. Uh, fortunately, I had a, quite a stockpile of equipment, dumbbells, kettlebells, bands, and that kind of stuff. So we were able to be pretty mobile and, you know, go where we needed to be, you know, with gyms being closed. So parks, you know, in garages and, and things of that nature. Um, and then with uh, the Olympics being canceled, it was really a heart-wrenching experience for a lot of the track athletes. Um, you know, the training kind of slowed down for us quite a bit, but uh, we've been fortunate enough to know have a little bit of a season um we had some races uh for the for the for the folks uh mike's actually in europe right now uh still competing so we were able to uh salvage a little bit of a, a competitive year awesome well let's dig into your background a little bit you've kind of alluded to what you're doing now but talk about your journey in sport first of all because i think it's fascinating and then of course how you got from there to becoming a, a coach who focuses on strength yeah, so uh, as a youngster, you know, here in uh, Texas, you know, football is kind of the rite of passage. So I went that route. Um, you know, my path was the offensive line. So being a, a shorter, stouter, uh, stronger fella, um, that was really my uh, expertise. You know, I played that all the way through high school, um, you know, just kind of falling in love with the weights and, you know, the competitive at atmosphere um, after going uh from high school going into college and I went to Texas State University. You know, that's kind of where I uh, no longer had football. So I filled that gap with some ultimate Frisbee, same competitive environment, but it allowed me to, you know, force me into learning how to move my body a little bit differently. So that really like sparked my interest into movement and strength training and, uh, you know, getting out of these traditional ways of just like, all right, we're bench pressing, we're doing bicep curls, bodybuilding stuff. Like my body needed more than that. So that really sparked my interest and uh, different ways of and combining, you know, things like yoga, mobility training, Olympic weightlifting, those types of things, you know, getting outside of you know, a little more traditional old school style of strength training. Um, and after 
you know, getting my degree in exercise sports science. Um, you know, I was uh, worked down in San Antonio at Velocity Sports Performance. And that's really, you know, that gave me a lot of structure and a curriculum to really, you know, build my knowledge base. You know, school is great, you know, learning, all right, the quad does this, hamstrings do that. But really, the my uh, internship and then my position as a sports performance coach at Velocity really just blew my mind and, you know, and possibilities of what we can do with our, the human body and the way that it adapts to new challenges and stimulus and, you know, all that fun stuff. Um, after, you know, working in San Antonio, you know, moving back up here to Austin, I, uh, you know, was working at a sports performance gym, you know, working with some clients, you know, just kind of some personal training uh, along the way. Nothing really uh, sports specific at the time, but I, I always had this itch, you know, knowing that like, okay, speed mechanics, I knew nothing about it while I was an athlete. Now I have all this knowledge. I got to get it out to the people. Um, took me a while to start getting some actual athletes in the gym. Um, but, you know, slow, slowly but surely, you know, putting the word out, finally got my hands on some, uh, you know, football players here locally in town. And then that just slowly translated into uh, a phone call coming, coming to the gym, someone looking to uh, get ready for the Rio Olympics. Um, all the coaches were busy at the time. I got the call. And um, that was back in 2015, um, where um, I met Mike Rogers. You know, Mike Rogers, he, he's an Olympic sprinter for Team, U Team USA. He uh, just won a gold medal back in 2019 at World Championships in Doha for the 4 by 100 meter relay. Um, and uh, I've trained him the, the, over the past five years, um, just getting him more resilient and prepared for this work that he has to do on the track. You know, I'm not a track coach. I'm not a, a running coach, you know, specific to any sport, but I am a strength and movement coach to where I see you move. I can uh, identify strengths and weaknesses. And if I know enough about the sport, I can help prepare you better to, for the demands of your sport, whether it's, you know, football, basketball, track and field, you know, sprinting, throwing, long distance. I know the, the movement body, the laws of motion are the same for all of us. And uh, the way the human body adapts is uh, not always the same, but there's some, some pretty general guidelines and, you know, needs that we uh, are, that our body needs. And, um, you know, just giving, giving uh, the body what it wants and, um, in the right dosage is a little fun, a little experiment. Yeah. We all move athletes, right? So we've got that in common, regardless of the sport we're pursuing. What's the name of your gym here in Austin? So I rent out of a couple gyms. Uh, one is of the lion fitness, uh, more of a uh, group class, you know, strength and conditioning. And the, the gym where I do, uh, train my professional athletes is true grind systems. That's a uh, North, North Austin, technically Leander. Um, but then that's also where I do my speed classes as well for uh, high school athletes. Nice. And you've been a partner of ours now since really the beginning of this year, 2020, I guess we maybe started developing the curriculum with you before that late 2019, helping us develop some strength curriculum that goes with our running curriculum in order to marry the two objectives to get the most out of our athletes as obviously strength is important for runners. So what we're going to talk about today is really some fundamental principles around strength and running. And in particular, for those athletes that are in season within a training cycle, the things they need to be thinking about for their strength programming in order to get the most out of their running. So we'll get to that in a second. But 
one of the foundational things I want to talk about with you that that we've built into our programs with you and you constantly emphasize with us is this idea that as a as an athlete who's focused on strength, you you really want to train movement patterns, not muscles. Absolutely. Which, which I think is a little bit, you know, I think most people would say, well, I'm, I'm trying to get my muscles stronger. That's always the focus when they think about strength is I need to work on quad strength or I need to work on bicep strength. We always think very muscularly specific because most programs are built that way. But you talk about developing patterns instead. So give us a little bit on what you mean by that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think uh, a lot of people are stuck in this mindset of like, oh, we're like a, a machine, right? You know, so a lot of people kind of compare, you know, make that comparison. Um, that, there's some truth to that, but we're not like a machine with interchangeable parts, where if my quad is really tight, or I have like some uh, tendonitis in my knee, you can't just take it out and put a fresh one in there. Um, that tendon is inflamed for a reason of most likely some overuse. That's kind of, you know, unless there's like some trauma or like some uh, traumatic event that happened to it. You know, it's, it, you, it's been, it has been doing exactly what you've been telling it to do. And if you've been telling it to move a certain way that may not be very efficient, it's going to get angry eventually. You know, your body's going to break down um, and, you know, you want to provide it the support it needs um, so that, you know, it can function properly. Um, so the, the movement patterns are just really ingrained in us and basically in, in our DNA, you watch a baby crawl around and squat. It's, it's flawless technique because that's just how our body is designed. Um, a lot of that, you know, from infancy, a lot of the, the movement, uh, adaptation seems to just be off curiosity. Like, okay, there's a shiny thing across the room. I want to go play with that. I'm going to figure out a way to get over there. There's no technique or anything like that, that you're telling your baby, like, all right, right knee. Oh, no, not your left hand. Oh, no, 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 that's the other hand. Like they just, we're going to roll around and figure it out. You know, there's so much that's just innate in us. Um, and I like to try to reel us back into that because sport is so specific all the time. You, you know, you're looking at like a baseball player, like, all right, well, if I'm going to throw harder, I need my arm to be stronger. So let's just do, you know, some bench press, some pull-ups and a bunch of rotator cuff stuff. Cause that's what I need to throw harder. Now that's kind of, you know, it makes sense to an extent, but like the closer you look at it now, even baseball is transitioning to like, oh wait, our feet are on the ground. If we push with our legs, we can accelerate the ball even better. So like using your body as a unit is really the secret to success as opposed to just, you know, trying to force your body to isolate, you know, one body part at a time just to do one specific job. Um, so yeah, the biggest, you know, and the, and the isolation stuff is super important. If you just had a, uh, you know, uh, you know, a hamstring surgery, then you need to strengthen very specific, you know, ranges of motions and things like that. But if you're an active athlete that's healthy and you know just trying to improve your running, you know, it's it's going to be more valuable and better time spent to be continue to train your body as a unit and and making these connections instead of having these little isolated incidences and isolated you know training experiences. Yeah, it's fascinating. And one of the things, and you you helped us develop our base training strength program for those looking to build mileage. Jason Brooks is on with me. He's my co-coach for that group. So we put together not only a base running program, but a corresponding base strength program. But the focus of that program really being on movement fundamentals. And in talking to you about that, when we first launched it, I remember you 
talking about working with your Olympic athletes after they finished their season and were rebuilding for the next season with the idea that you took them back essentially to square one. You went back to the fundamentals of good, clean movement. And oftentimes, I think as runners, we neglect that step in resetting. We're not talking about that as much today, but I wanted to go there next to just emphasize this importance of good, clean, fundamental movement. So talk about that. And particularly for runners, what movement patterns you think are most important? Yeah, absolutely. So five years working with Olympic level sprinters and every single year, typically October, November, we go right back to the basics of our, so the, our human fundamental movements are going to be our squat, our hinge, push, pull, carry, and spice is kind of just the combination of the two. That's going to be like more bear crawling and things like that. Um, every year we always return to that. It's not always the most fun, um, especially if uh, an athlete's just doing it for the first time because it's going to be a little uncomfortable. You're going to be in positions that your body hasn't been in in a while, and and that's fine. That's that's probably means it's even more important for you to be doing those things. Um, it, with coming off of a season for these folks, they've been in these same tension patterns for months, you know, up to like six to eight months, really. I mean, and then that on top of 10 years of training over their lifespan or 20 years, whatever it may be, your body builds these tension patterns and your body's only going to adapt to the specific stresses placed upon it. So if you're getting really stiff, tight hips, because you only stay in this single, you know, little stride that you do over 10 miles at a time, those tissues are going to uh, lay down collagen and get stronger in those specific positions. That's great until you try to get outside of that position. You know, as soon as you try to pick up, open up the stride a little bit, like, oh, wait, I haven't been training that for a while. I'm not strong enough you know, to handle that new position. So returning back to our fundamentals each year is super important for us, not, you know, for the nervous system to allow us to calm down and allow us to go into new positions or not necessarily new positions, but positions we haven't been in in a while to help, you know, structurally make sure that the hips are still strong. There's fully supported. The ankles have their full range of motion. Um, you know, the, our, our shoulders aren't staying so rigid and tight. You know, we can have this nice thoracic rotation, nice and smooth um, because of our overhead pressing and our pulling. Uh, we've returned back to the basics. Funny anecdote from this week, I've got my training program here in Austin working on a foundational strength phase, sorry, not strength, uh, speed phase, where we kind of went back to the fundamentals of speed for them. And typically in half marathon or marathon training, they're doing 400 to up to two mile intervals often at times, but we're primarily working paces between 5k speed and marathon speed during our workouts. But this week I had them go and do 100 meter repeats. Oh boy. Starting out at half marathon effort and working down in smaller sets to eventually do the last two to four reps all out. And it wasn't a lot of volume, way less volume than they're used to. And there was a lot of recovery walking between each of these reps. And I think the dose that they got in the moment didn't feel that <laughs> that tough, 
but everybody reported the next day that they were more sore than they've been in a long time because it was it was a neuromuscular workout where they were waking up things that we haven't worked on in a while and you've got to you've got to do that not only with your running sometimes but also with your strength whether you're starting a program over or whether you're starting from the beginning it's important to make sure that your movement fundamentals are solid you recommend certain movement tests in order to figure out where your baseline might be to know what to work on so what does that look like yes sir uh so movement test um that's just going to give you a a kind of a a baseline of like okay how can you get in this shape and how do you get in it and then how do you get out of it uh the two main shapes uh, that i like to focus on especially for runners are the squat and the hinge so i want to know how low you can squat with your feet flat on the ground and with seeing how you get there you know there's always these like you're gonna, you know, we're gonna go the the path of least resistance, right? So if it's easier for you to go to a certain way, you know, bend your knees a whole bunch, heels pop up, back rounds, like okay, maybe we're not super connected and like we're just relying on our old patterns to just plop us down into the lowest position possible. Um, what I'd like to see in a squat is, you know, starting, it's, we call it a loading order. So making sure that the hips go back first. You know, setting up, making sure there's some tension in the posterior chain. Then we'll start bending the knees, allowing, you know, the, the torso to stay nice and vertical. And ideally, the, the feet stay nice and flat on the ground. The, the depth, some people can take the hips below the knee. But as long as you're, you know, staying in that sequence, you're going to be pretty solid. The depth will come with time. Um, the second one being the hinge. So this one, uh, it's a lot like the squat, just with a whole lot less uh, knee flexion. So bending of the knee. Um, same thing that's a little bit more focused on your postural awareness though. So we are standing up nice and tall, reaching your hips back. Think of it like an RDL. Your shoulders will come forward, but that's as a result of your hips going back, kind of folding yourself in half. Um, again, keeping the feet nice and flat. Some people will need to bend their knees because their hamstrings are so tight that they need a, they need that slack so that they can actually move their hips back. Um, and then you also see a lot of, uh, uh, poor uh, postural strength where you see the shoulders start rounding and things like that. It's pretty eye-opening just seeing, you know, people perform those two movements. And then, you know, as you know, the, the strength program goes on, you'll start, you know, you'll notice like, okay, these are very important movements for me. Yeah. Cause if you're not doing it right, moving right, then what, what happens? What's the downside? Yeah. I mean, eventually, you know, you, you, your body's designed to move a certain way. You know, some people are going to get away with it, you know, hitting the genetic jackpot. They can have some crazy form. You know, I don't know if you saw the Tyreek Hill versus Terrell Owens 40-yard dash thing, but he got a whole lot of flack for his sprinting technique, right? Um, but he, he got away with it. He's the fa- one of the fastest guys in the NFL. Like some, some of these guys are just freaks of nature and can get away with that. I'm not in that boat. So for me, I need to have a little bit more balance. Um, I need to make sure that I'm not being too dominant with my quads, too dominant with my hamstrings, things of that nature, making sure things can move nice and smooth without, you know, you'll see like these weird little hitches along the way or like a weird rotation of a foot as you're walking. You know, we just want to make sure you're not wearing out a certain part of your body, just like your tires, you know, okay, the inside of your tire, okay, then that's going to mess up with the axle and the axle's messed up and you know, you're, you got an expensive car repair bill. 
tests or maybe the way I think about this, which I really like about the movement test is that it helps to identify limiters. So the human body is really smart and it will just compensate for a poor movement pattern. And you could, you could jump into a strength program or do something like this, running, training, and your body will figure out how to work around and adapt to whatever this limiter is in your body. But your compensator is eventually going to top out and you're going to kind of plateau. And so by being able to identify limiters, you can work on those. And, and because the, the movement tests that you have are developed around more than just the squat and the hinge, but there's also ankle mobility, which feeds into um, your squat mobility and, and even a bit of the hinge, um, you can work on a limiter at a time. Like maybe it's ankle mobility, which is the case for a lot of runners. You kind of get that to where it's not the limiter, but now your squat pattern is the limiter, and then you can work on remedial work there to help with that. And you're not just jumping into um, a program, you know, kind of getting the cart in front of the horse and relying simply on compensators to help you get through the work at hand. And instead, you can focus on developing these limiters and building those up and up and up until you get to a point where it's kind of like safe to move on and really build strength in these patterns. Absolutely. Check. Agree with all of that, Jason. The So one question is, okay, so, and we'll share the movement test. You've got some, Travis, that you share have shared online that people can go do on their own and see where they are on some of these fundamental movements. If someone is struggling in these areas or maybe has significant limiters in how they move in these core movements, what does that mean? Do that, does that mean they have to focus on that first before they start adding in the strength elements or can they do the two together? How does it work? I think it's a really, really great thing to find uh, a challenge. Um, Cause that's all, what it means is you have a great opportunity to get better. Um, so if your squat is super limited, you know, your hips are really tight. Well, guess what? If your hips move a little bit better, you probably be in less pain and you can probably produce more force into the ground so that you can run way faster or at least with a little more ease. So if, if you're someone that does one of these tests and it's like, oh man, I failed it all. I shouldn't run anymore. I might as well just, you know, call it quits now. Like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> there, there's, there's an opportunity here. If, if you are, you know, solution oriented, there's a little plan that it's right there on the website. You can, takes little tiny steps throughout your day, throughout your week to make these little improvements um, just so you can move better, your body will feel better, and ideally you can train harder and you know you get more out of your training because you actually are any moving more efficiently and you know with, with less pain. So how much so how do, how much do you have to focus there? Like how close do you need to get to a sound movement pattern before you step into a full-on strength program? Mm, I think if you can do the movements with no pain, uh, you can, I would give it a, a few weeks of just like retraining, like your, your squat depth and this hinge pattern. And after that, I think it's be safe to at least start like a movement fundamental program to where you're not like lifting weights or anything like that, but you are introducing more, you know, more stresses on the body that your body hasn't been accustomed to yet. So, um, I, I, you know, especially if you're a runner, you're already doing this stuff with all these 
really poor movement pattern. So it's obviously not that dangerous for you. It's just like, how much better do you want to be? You know, do you right. want to run with less pain? Do you want to run a little bit faster? Do you actually want to accomplish these goals? Well, then, you know, let's take some some steps towards that. And it doesn't have to be these huge steps and, you know, heavy weightlifting or anything like that. Um, just, you know, movement is movement's going to be your medicine. It's going to be uh, a thing that you shouldn't feel like you have to be ready for because you're already doing it every day. Right. I think it's also important to note that it's all a continuum. There's no such thing as perfect. And even sure. your, your best sprinters like Mike Rogers is going to come back every year and work on this stuff after his season because you develop bad habits, you get into a, a routine around certain training patterns, and you got to go back to the basics sometimes and nobody's ever going to be perfect. So you keep working. It's like the golfer. The, their golf swing is never perfect. They're working on it all the time. Same with movement patterns. We have a fundamental strength program associated with our base program, base training program via the podcast that Jason and I work on. Travis is our strength collaborator on that. That is something you can join if you'd like. I'll put all those details in the show notes. What we're going to talk today, though, more about is once you've established some of those fundamental movements and you're in season, you're ready to really integrate strength with a half marathon, a marathon, a 5K, 10K program, what does that look like? And so that's what I want to dig in on mostly today with you, Travis, because we're building that for our, our, our main podcast training group that's focused on all of those distances with different training tracks. We'll also be rolling this out to our other Rogue members. But I want to talk about the framework for it. What does it look like once you're in season, how do you periodize the work? And what are, what are some of the fundamental objectives of those periods? Yeah, so you can look at it like uh, four pillars. You know, if you're looking at like a 24-week you know, schedule for in-season strength training, uh, the first pillar would be probably the smallest one would be our, our movement section. You know, it is still going to be movement-based, but we'll just have you know, some dumbbells, maybe a barbell, kettlebell action there. We just want to uh, add a little bit more stress than just the body weight movements by themselves. Um, so that's our first little block, just making sure that the movements are still sound. After that, we'll go into a bigger block, about eight weeks of strength training. Uh, this is where we start really loading on um, it's a little bit more weight. Um, this is where we're going to really start to tax our, uh, uh, our energy systems more towards being a little bit uh, stronger in more of a hypertrophy type, hypertrophy type phase where we're, you know, focusing on building, you know, tendon strength, you know, making sure that they can withstand forces for a little bit longer time. Uh, after our strength, uh, eight weeks of strength, we'll go into our next block, which would be power. Uh, this is where the weight may go down a little bit and the speed of the movement will be much faster. Uh, this is where we start to start seeing more throws, uh, things more ballistic, uh, if you will, like kettlebell swings uh, and uh, maybe like a dumbbell snatch, jumps, squat jumps, broad jumps, different little plyometrics like that. And that's just, you know, we start introducing that through the next eight, eight weeks. So it's more of like a strength power combination of the two for, for the third block. And then the fourth block is going to be our sports-specific sh strength training. 
this is where we want a lot of our movements to look like our sport. Um, so there's gonna be more about like a little single leg work, our lunges, our step ups, um, and they're gonna be at a much faster rate uh, versus you know a step up in the strength cycle. You may have a couple 30 pound dumbbells. It's like two seconds up, two seconds down, something like that. When it, when we're talking a sports specific, that last block, we're popping up there as fast as we can. It's about rate of force production, putting your foot in the ground, driving up big and tall, because that's what we're going to be doing you know, on the track or, or, or on the street, on the pavement. Um, and uh, you know, that's going to be much faster and much lighter for that last section. And that's going to take you right into a little taper, and then it's time to go compete. So structurally, this sounds very familiar to the movement fundamentals program that we have, which is basically basically broken into the same four pillars. So how, how does our training load from a strength standpoint differ from a foundations program to, to end season? And the, one of the key things I'm thinking about is um, energy management or like really is stress management, right? Because when I get in season as an athlete, I'm, I have a lot more running intensity, the, the volume is high because we've been building it so that we can get into the season. But then we're adding in a lot more high intensity running um, as we, especially as we get into the sort of sports specific phases where we may be doing long run workouts, <clears throat> which we wouldn't do in a foundations period. So that could be, um, you know, 16, 20, 24 miles of running with, uh, significant portions of intensity in it. So do we come down in the strength training to match that? And um, so like, what's the frequency and the intensity of that program? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we will definitely see a decrease in volume and intensity with this in-season strength training. Uh, our movement fundamentals has uh, three workouts per week. Um, and I believe it's we got two, sometimes like eight strength exercises each day. Um, our in-season, it's uh, much, it's about half, maybe just a little bit more than half of that um, as far as exercise selection. So you're doing less exercises in the warm-up and the strength portion. Um, and then it's even broken down into uh, a little core and a mobility section as well. So you still have, you know, if you have all the time in the world, you can dedicate 45 minutes, you know, into this in-season strength training session where you can do your warm-up. Uh, like four strength training exercises. We got like step ups and push ups, maybe a goblet squat, and uh, you know some ring rows or something like that. Um, that's probably about 20, 25 minutes of work right there. Maybe about five or ten minutes of some core work, and then another five or ten minutes of mobility work. You're out of there in 45 minutes, um, so that you know you're able to complete something like that after a run or the next day after a tough run you can still you know give your body some some uh, some movement and strength and stress so that it can come back a little bit stronger for the next day so still doing three days a week on that just half the load roughly oh, no sir uh so we're looking at two days a week on end season got it yeah. sorry about that so going to two days instead of three 50 to 60% of the, the total load on those days. What do you recommend in terms of matching those days with running days, especially those more intense running days? How do you instruct athletes to plot out their week? 
Yeah, definitely stay away from double dipping on a, you know, one of your longer runs or higher intensity runs. You know, you want to make sure that that day is for that type of run. Um, if you have an easier run, I think you can do both in the same day. Um, and I wouldn't do that every time unless just your schedule is that's the only way you can do it. Um, it'd be great if you can, you know, have it on an off day. So let's say we have a, a Monday where you got to run. Tuesday, let's do some strength training. Wednesday, you're doing a run. Thursday, strength. Friday, run. Saturday, long run. That way you can kind of keep the strength stress away from that longer, higher intensity run. I think that'd be your best bet to get the most out of your running and your strength training. Let's talk about upper body versus lower body mm-hmm. balance. Because I think as runners, we think a lot about our legs because we're using those the most. At least that's our perception. But we forget about the upper body components and what then the need for upper body work beyond just the vanity of it. So how do those two things work together? And what do you see in the balance of a program like this for runners? Yeah, it's, um, it's super important to have your body work as a unit. And if you're neglecting an area or a movement or a pattern, um, it's going to show up eventually. And so the way the in-season program is designed, we, it's, it's designed as a total body, total body every day. So you're getting patterns each day. So we're going to do like a squat and a push on a Monday. And then on Wednesday, you're going to do some hinging and pulling movements. So, um, and you'll have them separated early on in the program. And as you go through the program, you'll start to see them mesh together to where you're adding in, okay, we're going to do a lunge and a press at the same time. Because it's not enough to just be strong in one position. You want to be strong enough to handle some load overhead. You want to make sure your shoulder can work at the same time as your hips are working. That's where that unity really comes in. And that's where, you know, your body's going to maximize its efficiency when it can work as a unit and as opposed to just stabilizing your back on a bench and just using your arms for a second. Like, okay, how do I use my arms and my legs at the same time? Because I'm pretty sure that's what happens when you run. <laughs> yeah, we, as runners, we forget about the importance of our arms because we think they're, they're just kind of along for the ride. We also forget about the importance of the rotational movement as well as inertia that's generated from your upper body that helps drive your lower body talk about how those two things work together and maybe some of the issues or restrictions you might see with runners in their upper body that could cause problems where they're running yeah absolutely so uh, i'll start with posture uh, posture is super important you know it's how your shoulders are stacked over your hips via the spine right you have all these little bones in your spinal cord and all that fun stuff um, a lot of that uh, just simple positioning can really affect how you make contact with the ground so if you have some really uh, kyphotic shoulders your shoulders are forward you got that little uh, typewriter back thing or you have the text neck that's going around these days people just looking down at their phone all the time your head and your shoulders being forward that's going to add you know i can't tell you the right amount of numbers or the weight or anything like that but it's going to force your back to work a lot harder and it's going to it can even affect the alignment of your pelvis so if your shoulders are now forward your your pelvis is tucked under and now all of a sudden your hamstrings have to work harder 
So just having a weak upper back, let's say, you know, oh, I can't do pull-ups, I can't do rows, anything like that. Well, that alone can help your hamstrings because that'll adjust your posture, being more upright. Your pelvis can be more neutral so that your, your hip flexors can cycle and your hamstrings can cycle more efficiently. Um, that's one example. The big thing, I mean, if you look at how the lat works, the lat connects from your armpit all the way down to your hip. The lat's going to be huge in bracing your spine, big postural muscle that kind of people tend to forget about. It's also a big role. It plays a big role in doing push-ups, making sure that the shoulder is secure in its socket and can apply force efficiently. And, and the opposite of that push-up, doing you know bent-over rows, pull-ups, any kind of ring row type of action, that lat's going to be involved. So if you have a really tight lat or a weak lat, it can also affect that pelvic position where, like you said, we always think about our legs as runners. Well, that pelvis and is, you know, that's your, your center. That's the epicenter of power. How those legs are going to cycle are all de determined about how your pelvis is aligned. I, I'm sure you may have heard of the, the anterior tilted pelvis where you have that thing, that, that think of it like a bowl of water pouring out forward. Well, as that, your pelvis goes forward, the back of it, your pelvis is going up. Guess what's attached to the back of that, the bottom of that ham, that pelvis is your hamstring. So as soon as you tilt your pelvis forward, there's automatically more tension on your hamstrings. So if you're always tilted forward, you're always pulling on your hamstrings. If your hamstrings are always being pulled on, they're going to fight back. They're going to get tighter and tighter and tighter because they, they're never in a relaxed state. So it's, uh, it's mighty, mighty important to just alone work posture and make sure that you're you have some structural integrity and uh, synergy between your upper body and lower body working together. It all works together. Key lesson there. Don't neglect that upper body. Let's talk about equipment for a second. I think a lot of people think about strength work in the context of traditional weights. What are the types of tools pieces of equipment you like to use in a program? I love kettlebells and dumbbells. I mean, those two things alone are, uh, can get a lot of work done. If you can uh, add in some sort of box or bench, something to stand on. So I really love step-ups for runners. And, you know, you can have a park bench, you know, a small little table or shelf or something like that, something to elevate yourself on. Because uh, I really like to challenge, you know, how you stand up and how you lower yourself down. You can do some really cool eccentrics with that. Um, that and um, a pull-up bar is really nice. It's kind of like icing on the cake if you can get something like that or a suspension trainer, like a TRX or just rings are like probably half the price um, as a TRX and can get most of the same job done. Um, those are like the really big ones. Uh, just some, some nice additions to have could be like sliders, um, like furniture sliders, just, you know, doing some hamstring curls or pikes, Oh, excuse me, or uh, like mountain climbers. Um, but really, you know, barbells and weights and things like that. It, it's nice to have, but it's really not all that necessary. I think if you have a, a variety of kettlebells and dumbbells and a nice box, that's really, you know, the, the key ingredient. What are the key resistance bands to have? Oh, the resistance bands, especially for the, our movement fundamental program. Um, something uh, for, you know, they, they call them hip circles uh, for, um, what's that brand? 
Mark Bell, you know, just like the little mini bands for like your knees and your ankles and things like that. Really nice for just that glute activation, uh, doing like side steps. I mean, some people call them monster walks and things like that. Just anything to get those hips firing uh, could be really, really helpful. Thanks to OTL Fitness there, I learned about cloth bands and it has changed my life. <laughs> I, am a, I have very hairy legs and when I put rubber on, I'm just like <laughs> screaming for yeah, pain. Uh, the, the hip circles are cloth and there's probably another 20 brands that are the same thing. Um, yeah, definitely give those a shot too. Save your hairs. <laughs> the cloth. That is key. You've talked a lot about single leg motion and movement and you know a lot of runners that i deal with end up having knee problems because as i like to remind them you know they're balancing on one leg you know a thousand times in a run and when they do that their muscles are supposed to the balancing muscles are supposed to do their job to stabilize the leg and oftentimes when those aren't doing their job then the joints pick up the load and your knee starts to hurt. But if those stabilizing muscles were doing their job, it wouldn't happen. That's part of the reason why those single leg motions are important. But talk about it from your perspective. What is that doing for you? What does it look like? You've talked about step ups, but what are other examples? Um, yeah, absolutely. You know, so a, a simple lunge. Lunging is super magical. You know, it can be a great stretch for people that are tight and it can be a great, you know, balance training for people that are a little on the uh, clumsy side, maybe, or, you know, kind of rehabbing off of a sprained ankle or you know, a sprained knee or anything like that. Um, a big thing about, you know, balance and working on that single leg, they call it, you know, unilateral loading. There's this rotational force. If you just stand on one foot, you, know, you can pivot, you can open up one way and you can close it down the other way you know being able to have that control and that uh that rotate the, the capacity to rotate in that socket is going to be super important and just having the the um oh what's that thing called it starts with a p mm, proprioception the ability to uh, have that awareness of where you are in time and space you know being able to make those little tiny adjustments because, you know, the road's not always going to be super flat and empty all the time. You're going to have to kind of veer to the left, veer to the right. And if your body has never really had to make those adjustments, uh, it may not be ready for some forces that are coming its way. And uh, typically when you're not ready for something like that, it, it can shock it and, you know, kind of grab or clench up and flinch or, you know, worst case scenario, cause an injury. So we talked about the periods and obviously those you know, are going to be a little bit customizable where you can lengthen and, and shorten some of those periods, depending on the specific training block and cycle you might be going through. But one of the things is obviously that's important is the end, that taper period of backing off of the full on strength training and getting ready for a race, whether that be, you know, half marathon, marathon for most of our runners, sometimes maybe a 5k. What does that look like? those final few weeks before an event? Yeah, that's going to be uh, somewhere around like half the, half the reps, half the sets. You know, we're going we're gonna to cut down quite a bit. Um, you know, let's say we're, you know, in a strength cycle, we're doing, you know, sets of like 12 step-ups a leg with, you know, some 20 or 30-pound dumbbells. Now we're just going to go uh, body weight and maybe just do five. 
you know, just being nice and smooth, making sure everything's firing on all cylinders, the posture's smooth, we're getting our arm action involved, we're nice and tall, we're not wiggling, wobbling up top, just making sure everything's nice and, you know, sharp while we're, while we're practicing our movements. Um, and so, you know, it's going to be almost easy, you know, except for you just have the intention of, you know, purity. And you know, we take away the intensity of like a lot of reps, a lot of weight, you know, that's very intense, right? So we're going to bring that part down, but we're still going to have the purity of the movement still be a priority and we'll get our intensity through that way. And that's, that'll be a uh, less stressful uh, for the, the joints and uh, energy system wise and our like uh, so you, nervous. So you keep the normal routine, but just change the work is what you're saying. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, that's because, I mean, that's honestly what we prescribe from a running perspective is I tell people run all the days you normally do with the exception of maybe race weekend where you might have to change things a little bit depending on the schedule for the weekend, but run all the normal days you normally do. We back off on volume and we back off on intensity that last week or really last couple of weeks for a marathon or maybe three weeks for some, but we keep the routine. It's still the same because I, I truly believe as a coach in the importance of routine and making sure that the body isn't freaked out too much by big changes. Yeah, totally. Introducing new exercises all of a sudden, then all of a sudden you're sore because you did something new, your body wasn't used to, and then all of a sudden you got to run next week. That's that could that could get messy pretty quick. Yeah, so like you said, just keep that routine, which is, you know, crank down that intensity, but just, you know, keep your body moving in the same way, you know, trust that process. You don't have to you're not going to make any huge gains the last 2 weeks, just let that momentum just carry you all the way till 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 race time. Jason, before we wrap, question, any other questions from you on the sort of fundamental pieces? I, I think my, my question is um, logistical, maybe. So our ideal state is we start out with a movement fundamentals program. We do some foundations training for our running, for our strength, focus on some other things in life. And then we pivot toward a training season. Um, but maybe I'm already in a training season or I'm just now starting a training season as we roll this program out. Are, are there entry criteria to delve into an in-season strength program like the one that we're introducing here? Do I have to have completed the movement fundamentals? Should I do the movement test going into this? Uh, do I need to have any previous experience in strength training or can I, can I pick this up and and run with it and how should I think about introducing it, especially if it's a net new routine? Yeah, I think if, uh, if, if you're an active runner and you've been, you know, moving for a little while, I think you can, I, I don't think that the movement fundamental program is a prerequisite and it's, you must do this before you do it in season. Um, I think there's plenty of people that can, you know, go ahead and jump into the in season um, because it's, it has that same structure of, Movement, strength, power, sports specific. Now you're still gonna get that foundation of like, okay, this is how I should be moving. You know, if it's if it's painful, no, that may be a different story. Um, but I think most folks are gonna, you know, do just fine with that first block, kind of re-educating, you know, folks that have already gone through this, and just you know, get, giving people a good dose of some basics for the first few weeks, anyways. Um, so. I think it's perfectly fine for some folks to just jump right into that. You know, I think there's plenty of people that have been moving 
their entire life just fine and they can they can handle it just well um so yeah i don't think there's any uh a need unless you know unless there's some pain going on or uh i mean it's only going to help you the more practice you have doing a movement test doing a fundamentals program uh, those things aren't going to hurt you um i think it's you know if you're in a rush, I think you'd be okay with the starting out with the end season. But if you, you know, are really curious and trying to maximize your potential, I would I would start with the the fundamentals. I have a follow up comment slash question on that, which is one thing we emphasize with the movement fundamentals program is the importance of each individual athlete staying within their lane, so to speak, of being hyper aware of how their own body's receiving the work and being very careful not to overextend themselves when they feel like they're at the edge of their potential with a given movement pattern, maybe with a given number of reps, with a given weight level. And, and I assume that principle would extend to this, which is that everybody should really just focus on where they are, listen to their own intuition about what they're ready for and what they're not ready for, focus on good, clean movement, doing less rather than more when they're in doubt so that they don't hurt themselves or overextend themselves. Am I reading that right? Oh, hundred percent. And there's even, um, there's a, um, like a hierarchy, if you will, you know, if you get to a point where like, okay, now I'm doing single leg tuck jumps onto a box. Like, okay, that's a little crazy right now. There's going to be a list of exercises for you to like, okay, if I can't, if I'm a little uncomfortable with this, let's go up to the top one. Okay just a, a reverse lunge with the knee drive. Okay, I think I can do that. Like, oh wait, maybe it's still a little much for me. Okay, we'll just go back to the regular squat. You know, so you can, there's a little a little scale that you can use so that you can make sure that you're challenging, challenging yourself accordingly. You know? Yep, yep. And when in doubt, play the long game. Be conservative, whether you're following this program or another program, because as I often, here, here. As I often say, <laughs> some work done consistently is better than a whole bunch of work done once or twice that <laughs> might hurt you or get you so sore the next day that you can't even move out of your house or go for the next run or do the next workout. So that's a good overview. I appreciate you joining us, Travis. We will be starting this program starting really this week in our road community. If you want to join us, I'll link all of those links in the show notes about how to do that. But thank you, Travis, for taking the time and for helping us develop this program. Awesome. My pleasure. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Jason. There you go. Good words there from Travis Goyanecci. Thanks to him for his counsel. Thanks to him for also partnering with us on the podcast based training, both our base training group and our primary group training for 5K up to marathon. If you're interested in joining either of those, either of those programs, registration is now open. We're taking signups through the end of the month. I will include the links to go sign up to that in the show notes. So check that out. Otherwise, if you'd like to learn more about Rogue Running, you can always go to roguerunning.com or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Rogue Running. Until next week, episode 200, we'll talk to you then.